Thank you, Jeremy. Please stand as we prepare to read from God's Word this morning. Please stand, and uh, if you would, uh, you have a Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, you can uh, open your own Bible, and we're going to open up the 23rd Psalm. That is going to be our scripture reading this morning, Psalms 23, verses 1 through 6. And Pastor Bruce is starting, as you can see by the posters on the uh, side of the uh, sanctuary here, starting a new series on God's solution to an overwhelming life. So follow along in your Bible. And if you again don't have a Bible, you can uh, turn to the Bible in front of you and open that to the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Bow your heads and pray with me, please. Father in heaven, it's a blessing to be in your house this morning, worshiping you, singing praises, thanking you for who you are and all that you've done and infinitely providing so richly for us. As we study this psalm, Father, may we see your goodness and how you as our Father can lead us and guide us in our lives. Father, every person on this planet, as Jeremy sang so richly, we all need you, Father. Every one of us ultimately need you. I pray that as we listen to this message this morning, that we will not see how Everything in life and our problems are so overwhelming, but rather we become overwhelmed by your love that you so wonderfully demonstrated through your son Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection. Help us to hear this message and to truly be changed in this study of Psalms, that this chapter of Psalms has an eternal value in our lives. Thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for Pastor Bruce. Be with him as he speaks. We just praise you for all that you're doing in our church. Exciting to see young people being baptized. It's wonderful. We thank you, Father, in your name. Amen. Thank you, Randy, for leading us in our scripture reading. Appreciate that very much. And Jeremy for, for singing, leading us in song, and our praise team leading us in uh, just singing to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and focusing our hearts. You know, I, I also, before we begin here, just want to say thanks for uh, uh, giving me the opportunity to have some time off to take my parents down to Houston, Texas uh, this last weekend for a funeral of my dad's best friend from college. And I'll let you guess how long that was, but it was quite a long time ago that dad was in college, my mom, and, and they met uh, Larry and Pat. Uh, uh, Lily and have been lifelong friends ever since and Larry passed away from bone cancer and they had the memorial service this last Monday 
And, uh, and so I've grown up my whole life hearing about Pat and Larry, meeting them. We stayed in their house before as a family, and so I've always have no, I can't ever remember not knowing who Pat and Larry are. And so I told Dad and Mom, I said, hey, when he passes, I, I want to go down with you guys and drive you down. And it was kind of ironic, we actually got to stay at my best friend's house and his wife from college that I went to college with, which was a lot shorter time ago than my parents. But I ain't going to tell you how many years ago that was either. And, uh, but nonetheless, we had a, uh, it was a very profitable time to be a part of that service, and, uh, and uh, just Dad made it through. We're grateful for that, too, and uh, had a wonderful time then just spending time with my parents. But I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be back, and I'm excited that we get to start a brand-new worship series here, our summer series, through Psalms 23. And we're going to take the next seven weeks, including today, uh, to go through this. And what we're going to do is basically look at seven of the greatest causes of an overwhelming life and God's solution to each of these causes. Uh, Reminds me of a little boy who went to the grocery store and asked the clerk for a box of detergent. And the clerk asked the boy why he needed the detergent. Well, I want to wash my cat, the boy said. Well, son, this detergent is pretty strong for washing a little dog or uh, a little cat. And the little boy replied, well, that's what I want. He's mighty dirty. And he took the box of detergent home and washed his, his cat. And about a week later, he returned to the store. And the clerk, store clerk, recognizing him, asked him about his, his cat and, and said, oh, he's dead. Oh, my, I'm so sorry, replied the clerk. I guess the detergent was too strong. And the boy said, oh, no, the detergent didn't hurt him. It was the spin cycle that got him. (laughs) Now, let me ask you, do you sometimes feel like you're in the spin cycle of life? That the spin cycle has got you somehow? You know, I, I would venture to say that most of us here this morning, we live in such a way that we can sometimes, if not oftentimes, if not all the time feel stuck in the spin cycle of life and we just can't get out. Life flashes by us in a blur and it leaves us feeling overworked, overspent, and even overwhelmed. Just consider some of the following stats on stress and and, 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 uh, anxiety here. 64% of Americans say they are taking steps to reduce stress in their lives. 43% of all adults suffer adverse health effects due to stress. 75 to 90 percent of all visits to primary care physicians are for stress-related complaints and disorders. 80 percent of people feel stress on the job, and an estimated one million workers are absent on an average workday because of stress-related complaints. Stress is ultimately responsible for 50 percent of employee burnout and 40 percent of employee turnover. So. How then do we overcome an overwhelming life? Well, God offers us a wonderful, phenomenal solution, and it's found right here in the 23rd Psalms. Psalm 23 is probably one of the most well-known psalms in beloved scripture passages of all time. If there's one chapter in the Bible that countless people could recite by heart, It is Psalm 23, and even if you can't recite it by heart, we are so familiar with it that we we recognize the phrases and words when it is read to us. And yet for many of us who have grown up with Psalm 23, it's easy to think of it. It's just something that you kind of read at funerals. Or we may have these images of uh, 
of just tranquil lakes and meadows and bearded shepherds caressing little lambs. And it's a picture well suited to Sunday school classrooms and old people's homes. But it's, it's how in the world does it apply to real life, my life today? So what does the 23rd Psalm have to say to us about life today? Well, in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to see that Psalm 23 still has a lot to say to us about our overwhelming lives. The heading in your Bibles tells us that this is a psalm of who? David. David is the author of this psalm. David is the greatest king or was the greatest king Israel ever had, and yet he was a man who was filled with the same kind of conflicting passions and bewildering problems that often overwhelm any of us today. And as a result, through the 23rd Psalm, though it was written in a far different time, a far different place from which we live now, its lessons are as up-to-date as the 21st century. So let's look at the very first cause of an overwhelming life, and that is none other than worry. We all have worries. Every one of us does. Whether it's over our finances, whether it's over our jobs, our relationships, our marriage, our kids, our health, or even the upcoming election in our nation, we worry ab about a lot of different things. Maybe you can relate to Mick, Rick Majerus, who was the former, is a former men's basketball coach who's now deceased, who once said, everyone's worried about the economy this year. Hey, my hairline is in recession, my waistline is in inflation, and altogether I'm in depression. And maybe you feel somewhat a little bit like him. Worry, though, as we're going to see, there are several problems with worry. Uh, it's unhelpful. It's unreasonable. Worry is unhealthy, and as we're going to find out, it's even unnecessary. Worry is unhelpful because it never accomplishes anything. It never solves anything. It's stewing without doing. It's like racing your car engine. You can create a lot of smoke and noise, but you don't go anywhere. Worry has never solved the problem. Worry has never changed the past. Worry cannot control the future. It only makes us miserable today. Worry is unreasonable because it exaggerates the problems and it makes mountains out of molehills. Worry is unhealthy. The body, your body, my body was not made to worry. Stress and worry breaks us down physically and even emotionally. Worry is the unseen source of our headaches, backaches, and belly aches. Worry gives us knotted stomachs, sleepless nights, high blood pressure, and low morale. Worry makes tempers short in our days long. Worry causes indigestion, irritation, chest pain, and muscle strain. We weren't made to worry. It makes us unhealthy and even unhappy in life. In fact, the old English word for worry, it means to strangle or to choke. And that's what worry does. It strangles and chokes the very life out of you. As John Calvin once said, those who are extremely anxious wear themselves out and become their own executioners through worry. And so let's answer two questions this morning about God's solution to worry. And the first question is simply this. What is the solution? What is God's solution to worry? When David said these first words in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, he knew something firsthand about the word picture that he was using when he penned this psalm. The first time we ever meet David, he is introduced to us in God's word 
as the youngest, all but forgotten son, out doing the chore none of his older seven brothers wanted to do. And that was shepherding. He was shepherding and keeping and tending sheep. When David volunteered to, to face Goliath, he claimed his work as a shepherd, warding off lions and bears from the flock, be, had prepared him for the fight, he told King Saul. And so, because David knew something about shepherding, and he knew the Lord himself, David found it easy to put these two things together, as if to say, hey, the way the Lord treats me is just like a shepherd. In fact, that's why David then says, the Lord is my shepherd. He understands this word picture, which brings us to God's solution to worry. Notice this coming up on the screen and in your notes. Believe God will take care of me as my shepherd. That is the fundamental way to overcome worry. It is to believe that God will take care of you as your shepherd. Why? Why should I believe God will take care of me? Because of what David writes in the very first verse here of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want it was as though David literally boasted out loud, hey, look who my shepherd is. The Lord is. I shall not worry because he is the one who will take care of me. Psalm 23, it's interesting. It actually begins and it ends with God. The one shepherd who knows us better than we know ourselves. The phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, it actually opens the way to overcoming worry. The message of Psalm 23 is that we are never alone in our struggles. That our lives are not meaningless. And that there is a shepherd who cares about what happens to us. And if I believe that God is going to take care of me, then I don't have to worry. So how then is letting the Lord be my shepherd a solution to worry? Well, it helps to know what shepherds do, what the occupation, the work of a shepherd is in caring for their sheep, because God demonstrates the same care for us as his sheep that a good shepherd knows for his sheep. And so let me just draw out three observations here about how the Lord, how the Lord is like a shepherd to us. First of all, like a shepherd, God leads us. He leads us. We need to be led, don't we? And a good shepherd leads the sheep out in front of them, not behind them. Now that may seem like a simple statement, but it has profound implications on our lives. Consider, it means there isn't a place where the sheep put their feet that the shepherd hasn't already walked first. This means there isn't a valley the sheep go through that the shepherd hasn't gone through first. In other words, there's nothing that is coming into your life that the Lord hasn't already covered and given his full approval of, including the rocky ground and the difficult times in your life. And so don't ever forget that like a shepherd, God leads you through the ground that he's already walking before you. God will use it for your good, and he will bring it through you to the place that he has planned. Will it always be easy? No. Will it include rocky ground, difficult times? Often, yes. But like a shepherd, God leads us, and he leads us out front. Number two, like a shepherd, God feeds us. He feeds us. For sheep, it's green pastures and still waters. But for us, our shepherd offers nourishment 
of every kind. And the primary way that God feeds us is through His revealed Word, what we would call the Bible. And that's why we're committed to the Bible as, as a church here. It's why we have our discovery hour. It's why we have our worship service and our grow groups. Because it's through the preaching and teaching of the Word. It's through our own reading of God's Word that we are fed by God Himself. This is God's Word to us. It's without error. It's God's truth. It's His love letter to us. It is nourishment to our souls. A third way, like a shepherd, that our Lord is like a shepherd, is God protects us. He protects us. Sheep are rather vulnerable animals. They're vulnerable to disease. They're vulnerable to weather. They're vulnerable to predators and thieves that come to steal them. And in the same way, the enemy of our souls will terrorize us, harm us, steal our focus, and tempt us to chart our own course. But our shepherd protects us. It's just as Jesus says in John 10, verses 9 and 10. He says, I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, and who is the thief? He's none other than Satan himself. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So here's the amazing thing. God promises to do these three things in your life if you will simply trust him with your life. If you'll follow him as your shepherd. God says, as your shepherd, I will provide for you. I will lead you. I will feed you. I will protect you if you let me be your shepherd. Notice what the Bible says in Isaiah 40, 11. I think this is in your notes there. He says, he takes care of his people like a shepherd. He gathers them like lambs in his arms and carries them close to him. He gently leads the mothers of the lambs. And then the Bible gets even more specific in Philippians 4.19, where it says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. Now, you may be wondering about now, well, how is all this possible? Well, it's possible because our shepherd is none other than the Lord. He's the Lord. The word that David used for the Lord here is the name Jehovah, who is the great I Am. First time that we actually are more familiar with this phrase, the great I Am, is when Moses is at the burning bush and God reveals to him Moses, who he is, and he reveals some I am, I am, I am. And you may remember that story, and all through the Old Testament especially, God is constantly revealing himself to his people as Lord Jehovah, the great I am. The Lord, in Psalm 23, is the sovereign God who is in total control of the whole universe, and yet as the great shepherd, he will take care of your needs in your life as the great I am. He is the Lord, and he, David says, he is my shepherd. So here's the question. If God has promised to lead you and feed you and protect you, then what's left for you to worry about? I would suggest nothing. There's really nothing left for us to worry about. 
If I have a God who is my shepherd, and He's the great I am God, and He promises to lead me and feed me and protect me, then what's left for me to worry about? Other than trivial things that I tend to make out of these molehills into mountains. Worry is not only unhelpful and unreasonable and unhealthy, but as we've just seen here, it's now unnecessary if the Lord is your shepherd. But here's the reality of the situation. Perhaps it's your reality even here this morning. God is not the shepherd of everybody in the world. He's only the shepherd of those who follow Him as their shepherd. Which brings us to our second question. How do I follow the Lord as my shepherd? Well, I want to offer you three ways to follow the Lord as your shepherd. And the first one is accept Jesus as your Lord. Accept Him as your Lord. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, the Lord can't be your shepherd until the shepherd is your Lord. The two go together. You can't ask Jesus to be your shepherd without accepting Him as your Lord. This means I have to stop playing God in my life. And I need to let God be the Lord of my life. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be Lord? Well, it's the idea to be in control of, to be in charge of. It's the idea to, you're the one calling the shots. Today we might say it's boss, manager, leader, CEO, or chairman of the board. Jesus Christ is the Lord in your life if He's the one calling the shots in your life. And if he's not calling the shots, then he's really not your Lord. And if he's not your Lord, then he's not your shepherd. Because David says, the Lord is my shepherd. So how then do you know? How can we know if Jesus is your shepherd and you, myself, we are one of his sheep? Well, Jesus gives us a very clear answer to this in the Gospel of John, chapter 10 verse 14, and even continuing into verse 27. Look what it says. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. And my sheep are known by my, by, by my own, and I am known by my own. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So right here we have three simple tests to know for sure Jesus is your shepherd and you are one of his sheep. First of all, first test, when you know Jesus personally. That's the first test. One of the most significant words in Psalm 23 is this word. It's a two-letter word. It's a simple word, and it's the word my. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Millions of people all over the world know that the Lord is a shepherd, but they really don't know if he is their shepherd. They're unsure of that. They can't say with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd, because they don't really know Jesus personally. So let me ask you, do you know Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior, as your shepherd? Like Gabriel and Michal testified in their baptism. They're testifying that they have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They 
quote, know him. They're in a relationship with him by putting their faith in Jesus Christ, and they know him personally. Is that something that you can say about yourself? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? The very first test of whether or not Jesus is your shepherd is, do you know Jesus personally? Number two, second test is, you listen to Jesus attentively. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And so do you listen to Jesus, seeking to do what he says in his word? Listen, we are fed by the word of God. That's how we're nursed. But it's also in the word of God in which Jesus reveals to us how he wants us to live as his sheep. And so do we pay attention to when the word is spoken to us in like a discovery hour, in a worship service here? Do we pay attention when we read God's word as if God is speaking to us personally at that moment? And are we attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us? Are we focused on that, listening to Jesus and following through? Which brings us to test number three. You follow Jesus faithfully. This is the ultimate test. Do you let Jesus call the shots in your life? Do you follow the leadership he gives you? And so right away, we have three simple tests in which you yourself, right now, where you're sitting, you can quickly discern whether or not you are one of his sheep and Jesus is your shepherd. You know Jesus personally, you listen to Jesus attentively, and you follow Jesus faithfully. I'm not talking about following him perfectly. None of us do that. But do you follow him faithfully? Is that your heart's desire to follow the Lord and to follow what he says in his word, to live according to the ways of God and the truth of God as revealed in the word of God? Here's the bottom line. All the worry that you're worrying about, whatever it may be, it all comes down to this. It's a control issue. Worry is always a control issue. The root behind all of your worry is fear that you're not in control, either of your life or the circumstances around you or even other people's lives. Worry is always an attempt to control the uncontrollable. It's assuming responsibility God never meant for you to have. And so whenever you try to control the uncontrollable, you're going to worry. So the question then is, who is in control of your life? And you only have two options here. Either you can be in control of your life, or you can invite God to be in control of your life. And by the way, God doesn't co-pilot. Because oftentimes, we're like, I don't know. God, I, I want you to be part of my life, but I still want to retain a little bit of control. And so I think, maybe, yeah, maybe you can, I sit here, and Lord, you sit here. Or maybe I'll give you the steering wheel, but I'm going to sit still in the front seat and kind of give you directions. How many of you have spouses like that? Don't answer that. God does not co-pilot. Why? Here's why. Because if you're in the driver's seat and God's co-pilot, you're still going to crash and burn, and then God's going to get blamed for it. And God also will not force you to follow him as your shepherd. That's something you must Submit your life to. You must choose to. You must want that and desire that. Invite God to be 
your shepherd. But be warned here. If you're running your own life without God's direction, without God's guidance, without God's control and sovereign overarching uh, leading in your life, oh, oh, then you ought to be worried. Most of the things in life you can't control. So you have every reason to worry. But if God is running your life, if He is your Lord, then He's your shepherd and you don't have anything to worry about because God will take care of you. Man, I was just, it's, it's, it's amazing how God ordains things and works things out. In my own personal quiet time, just reading through God's Word, being fed, if you will, and again, I, I struggle with quiet. I'm not perfect in this. You know, it's like this, but I'm committed to it. And so here, the last month, I've been reading through First and Second Samuel. And you know, you know what the story of First and Second Samuel is about? A majority of it. It's about King Saul and King David. Lo and behold, what am I getting ready to, we're teaching here. Psalm 23, David writes it. And so you're, I'm reading all through about the life of David. And it is amazing how God was his shepherd leading him, feeding him, and protecting him when Saul was chasing him and sought to kill him. And God is showing himself faithful in these three things as his shepherd. It never failed. Even when David is like, God, where are you? What is going on? I'm, supp you, I'm supposed to be the king. And yet you got Saul, this nick and poop dude, who's king still. What's up with that? I'm running for my life. I'm hiding in caves. He's trying to pin me against the wall with his spear when I'm playing music for him. And God is proving himself faithful over and over. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's in your best interest to follow the Lord as your shepherd. And the first step is to accept Jesus as your Lord. Second step is to pray about everything. Pray about everything. Pray about all the stuff you usually worry about. Just talk to God about it. Remember, the Lord is my shepherd. You have a personal relationship with Him, and He knows you. You say, I don't have time to pray. Well, let me ask you, do you have time to worry? Most of us, I venture to say, because we're all in the same boat, we probably worry when we drive to work if we don't have the radio on. We worry right as we go to bed and we put our heads down on the pillow before we doze off to sleep. If you work a job where you're sitting at a desk, I'm sure there are a few times throughout the day where you're at your desk and you're having a brain freeze, except your brain doesn't freeze, it worries. And so if you're saying, I don't have time to pray, listen, you, then you, in, but you say you have time to worry, then you have time to pray. Prayer gets in touch with God the great I am, the one who is in control of the universe, and the one who can change what's going on in your life. And there's really two options when you're worried. You can either panic or you can pray. And so whatever it is in your life that's, that's causing those anxious feelings and that anxiety and that worry to swell up in your heart, that's the moment when you are faced with, all right, I can panic about this situation or this person, my family, my finances, my job, whatever, or I can pray about it. Notice what the Bible says in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Paul's writing here and he says, don't worry about anything. Well, that just can't get any more clear than that, can you? Instead, pray about everything, Paul says. 
Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Most people pray about things they think God wants to hear, but God is telling us here to pray about everything. Here's a good rule of thumb. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Remember, God's ability is greater than your anxiety. So take your worries to God in prayer. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares. God cares for you. This word cast, it's, it's an awesome word here. And it, it actually, it means to unload. It's the idea to let go of. The Greek word literally means to drop. And so in this case, we are to unload. It's like we have the backpack of worries on, and we unload that backpack, or we just drop it. We unload and we let go of and drop our anxieties and our cares and worries on God as our shepherd. You ask, well, how in the world do I do that? Through prayer. That's why prayer is such an incredible stress reliever. Whatever you're stressed about, upset about, irritated about, cast it all on God because he cares for you. The problem is most of us do our casting like we do our fishing. We cast and then we reel it back in. No, cast it and leave it with the Lord. The third step in dealing with your worry is live one day at a time under the Lord's care. Live one day at a time under the Lord's care. Have you ever come across the website, Iwantoneofthose.com? It's coming up on the screen. Iwantoneofthose.com. It's a website that, and it's a real website, you can go to it, that offers, in quotes, stuff you don't need but you really, really want, such as, and I don't know if you can see the pictures well enough, uh, the first one there's like a splash chopping board. All right, so all of you moms, you know, you want to, or kids, you want to fake your mom out that you splashed something, spilt something, now you're chopping on it, you know, I don't know. Uh, the, they're like Irish accent mouth spray. They claim you can spray the stuff in your mouth and you'll speak like an Irishman. <laughs> I want one. I mean, that'd be cool. Batman mirror. All right, that'd be cool to have somebody's bedroom, a Batman mirror. Or a spider catcher. All right, if you don't like spiders, that's a spider catcher up there. Or lazy housekeeper mop slippers. All right, or Star Wars Jedi fleece bathrobe. How many Star Wars fans? Man, wouldn't you just love to have that? Or a Star Wars Jedi Death Star mood light. I mean, I want one of those. Or blood bath shower gel. And for you Walking Dead fans, there's even zombie blood shower gel. And my all-time favorite coming up next is bacon-flavored toothpaste. <laughs> yeah. Bacon-flavored toothpaste. Doesn't get much better than that. So what do you want? I mean, what do you really, really want? Isn't it interesting that in a culture of I want, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. That's a huge statement there. Man, that is a big statement. So what does it mean? A little girl once misquoted the verse this way, the Lord is my shepherd, I've got all I want. 
And although she said it wrong, she understood the secret of satisfaction in her life. What is this phrase, I shall not mean? Let me give you three things here. Number one, it means not lacking expert care from the Lord. The phrase, I shall not want, can be translated, I shall never be deficient, or I shall lack for nothing. The meaning here is not that we won't desire or want anything. The meaning is that that we won't lack God's care in our lives. It's not saying, God is on my side, I I shall have whatever I want. Nor is it saying, I'm never going to experience hurt in life or disappointment or failure because God won't let those things happen in my life. Instead, this is a statement of deep trust that David is saying here. The Lord is my shepherd. I know everything will be okay because I know He is with me and looking out for me and this will prove to be more than enough in my life. So in what sense then can it be said that those who follow the Lord shall not lack anything? Well, I like one pastor's answer to this question when he writes, what David means is that God's sheep never lack anything that the shepherd thinks is good for them. In other words, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall never want at any time for anything that I really need. Whether we are in the green pastures or the dark valleys, the Lord remains at our side and we shall never lack his expert care in our lives. If the Lord is truly your shepherd, then every area and activity of your life is under His control. It's under His direction and protection. But this phrase, I shall not want, has an additional meaning. Number two here, it also means not craving more than what the Lord provides. Unfortunately, we often want more than we need or what the Lord provides. Today, our lives are often measured by success. And success is often measured by visible criteria, primarily material possessions. And so I shall not want is a reality only if I'm rich enough to buy a lot of stuff. Therefore, to say with faith, I shall not want, means embracing a spirit of contentment in the face of the greed, lust, and overindulgence of a consumerist culture. Instead of complaining of what we don't have or complaining about what we have, contentment should be the hallmark of the Christian who has put their life under the Lord's care. I shall not want is a counterculture statement of contentment and gratitude in a culture of I want, I want, I want. It's the idea that I am completely satisfied with God's management of my life. Why? Because He's my shepherd. And I'm His sheep. And I'm living one day at a time under His care. He's the great I Am. So let's ask the question again. What do you want? That's such a great question to stop and ask ourselves every once in a while. Because what we want often demonstrates whose voice we are following today. Are we following the voice of the world or the voice of our flesh? Or are we following the voice of the Lord as our shepherd? 
Listen to what the voice of Jesus says in Matthew 6, 31 through 34. Jesus says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, which is just another way of saying unbelievers seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So don't worry about tomorrow. Instead, live one day at a time under the Lord's care and watch your worries turn to worship. This phrase, I shall not want, also has one last meaning. And that is, not wanting another shepherd. In other words, the expert care of Jesus is, is all that I desire. I'm completely content with His management of my life. And though my life is not perfect, the Lord has never failed me. And while there have been disappointments and difficulties in my life, He has always kept His promises. And so I say then with David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want another shepherd or a different shepherd. As we close, let me pose this question before us all here this morning. What's got you worried today? As you, as you sit right where you are, what's running through your mind right now? What's got you worried? What is it that's causing you to fuss and fume, toss and turn, and wondering if it's ever going to work out? I don't know exactly what you're going through right now, but God does. God knows exactly what you're going through, and He knows exactly what you need. You need a shepherd who will take care of you. And Psalm 23 is first and foremost about a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's the solution to our worry. You need a shepherd, somebody who will lead you and feed you and protect you. And that's exactly what God wants to be in your life and do for you. Is it possible to overcome worry? You bet it is. You bet it is. Perfectly, I'm not saying that, but it is possible to overcome worry when you can say with confidence, when you can say in your heart of hearts like David did, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's pray. As you bow your heads here for our response time, I want to invite you to Take the first step to following the Lord as your shepherd by opening your heart to Jesus Christ if you've never done so. And to ask Jesus Christ to become your Savior and Lord, to, to accept Him as your Lord. Can you, right now, as you think through this, can you say with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd? If not, then why not invite Jesus to be your Savior and Lord right now? Right now, during this response time, cry out to Him and invite Him to be just that to you. Pray, Jesus Christ, I don't understand it all, but I've seen that you promised to take care of me if only I'll trust you.
And I realize that worry is just a warning light that I'm trying to control everything. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be in control. I want you to be in control of my life. I want you to be my manager and my Lord. I want you to, I want to know you and listen to you and follow you as my shepherd. Please give me the grace to do just that. Amen. Lord, we ask that you would do a work that only you can do now. That your spirit would reign free and guide and lead and convict and challenge where it needs to be done. May we respond to the truth of your word here in the first verse of Psalm 23 as the praise team sings.